so this is part two of Rebel Carry Beacon deserved better. For whatever reason, the whole episode wouldn't upload. So this is the second half. If for whatever reason you heard the whole thing in Rebel Carry Beacon deserved better, then obviously you don't have to listen to the second part again. Um, but I don't control you or your life, so do what you want. Okay, so part two of the podcast is um, my analysis, and I think that the main points that are made in Bluebeard are about, um, obviously, the, like, impermanence of everything, because I already talked about Santine Duralux, um, Survivor's Syndrome, and PTSD, and since I already talked about Santine Duralux, I will now talk about Survivor Syndrome. Now, if you don't know what Survivor Syndrome is, I will try to explain it. I, of course, am not Google or a psychiatrist. So, <laughs> if I'm listing things and you relate, I recommend you do your own research. I am 18. I don't know that many things. Okay, like, I know so, so many things, but, like, I can't. You get, you get what I'm saying. Um, so survivor syndrome is essentially, like, intense guilt that you have survived an event and that other people haven't. Um, it's mostly seen in, like, survivors of, you know, genocides and stuff. So that's roughly what survivor syndrome is. That's really the the basic understanding that... Uh, you need to have for me to continue talking about this. Um, but uh, Karabikian's parents survived the Armenian genocide um, and escaped from the Turks in World War One. So, um, like, it talks about how when the Turkish soldiers entered the village, uh, Rabo's father hid um, behind the school where he taught, and that, um, Rabbo's mother pretended to be dead, um, lying in a pile of corpses, um, on top of a corpse whose mouth was filled with, like, her family's jewels. Um, Rabbo's mother takes these jewels and flees the country, and on the way, she runs into Rabbo's father, they go to Egypt, they run into this other Armenian guy named Mr. Mamagonian. I can't pronounce his first name, but I definitely know the last name is pronounced Mamagonian, and so I'm going with that. Um, so Mamagonian in the story is, like, kind of a minor... Like, okay, Vonnegut's books are different because they don't usually have an antagonist. Usually the antagonist is, like, an environmental factor, or a memory, or just, like, the crushing circumstances of life. That's usually what the antagonists are. I mean, you know, in some of his other books, there's characters that actually are, like, representative of things that are actually the antagonists, and I can talk, and I can and will talk about that in other podcasts, 
but this is about Bluebeard, and I will focus. I can focus. That's something I can do. Anyway, so, um, Rabbo's parents end up in Ignacio, California, um, and Mamagonian convinces Rabbo's parents to, can get, convinces Rabbo's parents to give him the stolen jewels. Um, Mamagonian is kind of an antagonist in this story. Um, he's more so, like, a characterization of, um, not exactly greed. Okay, yeah, greed. But this, like, the idea that there are some people that are so, like, fucked up that they would take the only, like, thing of worth from suffering people like, I don't know, Mamagonian just kind of exists so that there's someone to point at and be like, even when we had nothing, this person pushed us down farther. Like, this person stepped on our necks just to be able to get one step closer to being able to reach something that doesn't even matter. It's He's just kind of there to be like, yeah, human cruelty, even in the worst circumstances, some people are just dicks. Um, also, obviously, the other bad character is Dan Gregory. Um, fuck Dan Gregory. But, yeah, also, Mamagonian's bad. Um, so, you know, Rabbo's mother adjusts, but his father becomes bitter, and he's the one that you can see survivor syndrome in so very clearly. Because, um, you know, even though his parents survived, his father is filled with this guilt and trauma of what happened to his, pa- like, his family, his parents, um, the way that he had to hide behind the school all of this stuff and he's never really been able to move on or process it and of course i can talk about how men are socialized to not be in touch with their emotions and how it's not masculine to cry or be weak um which you know by the way having trauma doesn't make you weak um but anyway i could talk about that i'll probably probably talk about judith butler and gender performance theory in a different podcast but anyway, Rabbo's mother, um, there's this quote from page 22 of Bluebeard. It's, she survived, quote, right in the middle of the killing, pretending to be dead with people laying on top of her. And that's undoubtedly fucked up. Um, but she, she adjusts. And I think, like, I think they, I don't know with a way to phrase this where it doesn't sound so incredibly misandrist I think that women are just better at dealing with things you know what I mean I think that women are just better at dealing with things um so I mean at least if Rabbo's mother does have a lot of survivor's guilt it's not really explained much mainly because she dies uh, when Rabo's 12, after getting tetanus from her job in the canning factory. Um, but Karabikian's father, 
um, you know, continues to raise him. You know, he's like a cobbler, and he makes shoes, and he tries to sell the shoes, because that's what cobblers do. And he's not exactly on board with Karabikian's art career, but, you know, once he finds out that Dan Gregory is an Armenian and sees something in his son, uh, Carrie Beacon's father is like, fuck yeah, go be an artist, hell yeah. Um, and so they send him to New York. Um, Rabo, uh, there's a lot of, well, it's not really discussion, but there's information that's there and it kind of dances around the point of intergenerational trauma. Um, and how, like, Rabo has inherited all of this stuff from his father, and how it's clearly made an impact on Rabo, the way that his father acts, and is bitter, and hates the world, and refuses to learn English, and as far as I can recall, Rabo never really talks about his relationship with his father, other than that his father wasn't super supportive, and then suddenly, once he figured out that Dan Gregory was Armenian, he was super supportive. Um, so, well, yeah, I mean, there, it, it dances around um, intergenerational trauma, but there's definitely information there about it. Um, and then the next clear topic uh, that's discussed in the book is PTSD. And, you know, here's some Kurt Vonnegut knowledge. He was a prisoner of war in World War II. Um, and, you know, Kurt's Vonnegut mother, Kurt's Vonnegut, Kurt Vonnegut's mother. There we go. I can speak English. Um, she died by suicide when Vonnegut was in his early 20s. And I think that Cersei Berman is kind of a mother character for... Karabikian, and I say that only because her primary function is to make Rabo process his feelings, um, to make him write an autobiography, discuss what's going on, like, make sense of everything that is in this old man's brain. And, you know, probably by writing about, um, what happened to his parents, and what's happened to him that um, helps him process it. And, it, like, obviously it helps Karabikian process it. But I think that by extension it probably helped Vonnegut, too. Because, you know, Vonnegut was a prisoner of war. And Karabikian was also a prisoner of war. I'm pretty sure. Was he? I rem I Don't quote me on that. But I do remember that there's this scene in the book somewhere where Karabikian, because Karabikian is involved in World War II, he's part of like a camouflage unit because he's an artist. And I, listen, I don't understand. This is such as Vonnegut. Um, but there's this scene when Karabikian and his unit are up on like they're higher up on a hill and they look down in the valley and they can see the people that have just been like liberated from a concentration camp and the way that it's described in like this this um memory is brought up two or three times and 
every time that it's brought up, you get a little bit more of it. But every time that it's brought up, the memory is so, like, the writing is so visceral. It's so real. You can, you can feel it. Um, there's this, you know how there's slow motion videos of water balloons popping? And how, like, you see it, you see the, like, thumbtack go into the balloon, and then for a second, the water is, like, perfectly still in the air, it hasn't changed shape shape at all, it's perfectly defined and clear, and then the next millisecond, it's starting to collapse and fall apart. The... Each time that the memory of the looking down at the newly liberated people from the concentration camp, every time that memory is brought up, the the feeling is when you're looking at that perfect sphere of water and it's like, I don't know, you know how in lots of like poems they'll talk about how like the feeling of light shining on your face or sitting by a warm fire or like these comforting things where it's just like, wow, the majesty of it. The scene's very much like that. Um, but Kiribikin definitely has some post-traumatic stress from being in the war. And there is this page... Um, I am flipping furiously through the text, if you will give me one second. It's on page, like, 318. And, uh, it's talk, and it's Karabikian writing about his friend, Paul, and how Paul threw himself on a hand grenade. And, um... Cersei Berman is like, why didn't it kill him? And Carrie Beacon says, unforgivably sloppy workmanship at the hand grenade factory. And I think that specifically that quote is just so, like, exemplary of how Carrie Beacon and Vonnegut by extension deal with their trauma and like heavy topics just by making little jokes about it and like I know that some people don't like when people make jokes about trauma or things that they have to deal with but I think that being able to joke about something that's so dark and so heavy and like messes with you so much I think there's a bravery in that I think that there's this like I don't want to say, like, endurance of the human spirit, because that makes, that makes me feel like an idiot saying it out loud. But I think it just speaks to this, like, quiet courage that is in so many people, and they're unaware of it. And if you're able to make something fun and lighthearted and um, make people feel okay and comfortable talking about, you know, what's going on inside of them... I think that that's an admirable quality. You know, even if um, 
talking about things is uncomfortable. I think the fact that you can that people can make jokes to deal with it and make other people comfortable by extension is such an an admirable quality. And I really feel like the book Bluebeard and Vonnegut by extension it just deals with such heavy things like PTSD and intergenerational trauma and suicide and things like this in such um an like an elegantly crafted way that is so appreciated by by me at least you know given that I've been talking about this for probably 20 minutes now I I just think that you know it feels cliche to say that I think it's beautiful but I do think it's beautiful and just in case you were wondering what is in the potato barn it is the um <laughs> it's this piece entitled now it's the woman's turn and it's this huge painting and it's based on the the valley scene and it's painted in you know photorealism and Cersei points at each person in the painting and is like, well, who's this person? What's their story? And Vonnegut has... Not Vonnegut. Well, yeah, Vonnegut. But Karabekin has a story for each person in the painting and answers all of Cersei's questions. And he's created this scene that he experienced at the end of the war, but also added people from his life, like the corpse of the woman with jewels in her mouth and Pollock in kitchen and um the painting too is just like makes Karabikian deal with his feelings and I think that the fact that this book is set up as an autobiography the discussion of the painting at the end all of it just really emphasizes the fact that you have to deal with things. There's always going to be bad things. Bad things will happen to you. Bad things have happened to me. But you have to deal with it. You've got to keep going. you got to process it. Write it down. Make art. Do anything. But you can't hold it inside of you because it'll poison you. You know, as seen by kitchen and well Pollock but but, you know you gotta deal with it you gotta deal with things babe um (laughs) a little bit of a heavy way to end the podcast my apologies babes um So there's my plot summary and analysis of Bluebeard, which is one of my top three favorite books. I hope you liked the episode. I hope you're okay. Um, I love you very, very much. I don't know off the top of my head what the next episode will be. I don't think it'll be Vonnegut related. I think I'm going to do a podcast about something else, and then I might loop back around to do another Vonnegut one. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I love you. 
and I hope you have a good day, night, whatever. I hope the thing you're worried about turns out okay, and I hope the thing you're scared of isn't as bad as you think. So, I love you, and I'll see you next time.